Why don't you open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. You ready for the word today? First Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 14. This is going to be the text that we're going to stay camped out in as we were last week. Um, if you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you to get onto our YouTube page, grab a hold of it. Um, we're going to look at it from a different angle today. First Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 14. It says this, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, Elijah was told that Jezebel wanted to kill him. I'm gonna take your life. And then Elijah became afraid. Every shot became afraid. And immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I had enough. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and he slept under a broom tree and suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and there at his head was some donuts and a cup of coffee. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. I want you to remember this location because this is important for us in our study today. He entered a cave there and he spent the night. Suddenly, every shout suddenly. The word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking to take my life. Then he said, go out, stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. Now I want you to listen to these words because this is really important for us to understand. At that moment, simultaneously, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering the cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, watch what he did. He wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. So Elijah doesn't immediately respond to God's command to get out of the cave, but his glory starts to proceed. And it's upon hearing the soft whisper that Elijah wraps his face in his mantle and he obeys. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. He replied, but the children, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets. With the sword, I am alone left, and they are looking for me to take my life. Today, as we continue on in our series, Shadows in the Light, I want to speak to you from this subject today. If you're writing notes, I'd love for you to write this down. The voice behind the storm. The voice behind the storm. As we look at the stillness and often quiet nature of God that renews our souls. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, and has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, speak to us right now. We need your voice. No one needs Jason Parrish's voice. We need your voice. So speak to us through your word right now. Our ears are open. Our hearts are ready to receive from you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on. And the church shouted. And the church shouted. Amen. Amen. Show of hands, how many of you have participated in the quiet game before? Come on. How many of you had a parent that maybe when the house got a little rambunctious, they would institute the quiet game? Yep. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Car rides? You remember, remember like family trips before like phones and iPads and everything to like keep you uh, focused on other things? Remember we just had to ride in the car and look at each other's faces, right? And I, I, like, I just distinctly remember over many, many moments of life traveling in vehicles from Seattle to here and, and back, my, my dad at times would say, okay, guys, it's time for the quiet game. 
And you know what the quiet game meant? It meant I need you to be quiet or someone's gonna lose their life, okay? That, that's what the quiet game was. And I don't know if you've ever played the quiet game before, um, or maybe you're a teacher, or you're in our kids' ministry, or you've just been around kids in general, or whenever you get around kids, it's time for the quiet game, right? No matter your, your position or place, you, you, you remember that one kid that always, when you say, quiet game, everybody goes quiet, and about 0.7 seconds into the silence, they go, <laughs> and they start cracking up, right? Or they make some weird noise, or... Or they do something to, to break up the game that has been created. I guess if we're honest, silence for the most part and for most of us is a difficult proposition. Even if it's not a part of our natural like lean. Maybe for some of us, we're introverts, so we have a, we have like a, a lean towards silence, but it's even difficult for, for the introverts. Extroverts, it's a lesson in torture. Here's the truth. Why? Because silence, hear me when I say this, silence is confronting. Some of you want to scratch your faces off right now. Because silence is confronting. For some of us, it hurts. For others of us, we can't handle it because it's when I actually start to hear my thoughts. Silence is difficult because it's in the silent place that we actually see what's going on in my heart. And so for many of us, we run from silent places. And as we've seen with the life of Elijah, it was, in the it was in the silent place that God would get a hold of him. It was in the quiet place that God would, would speak to him. Thomas Merton would write this, in silence we are better able to listen to the whispers of our soul, to hear the voice of God and to find our true selves. Dallas Wilder, in, in, in his book, An Assessment of Silence, would say this, the deepest things we need to experience in our spiritual lives can only be received in a silence that is active, a silence that is alive. And one of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning, would, would state this, silence is the great revealer. It allows us to hear the whisper of God's presence in the midst of the chaos of life. See, the truth is, is that silence or stillness is a landscape that seems to be mostly untraveled by us ragamuffins in search of moments with our great and glorious God. Because like Elijah, we have a tendency to get caught up, addicted to, or desire that which is grand, manifest, and opulent. Come on, if we are honest, we like big, shiny things. We're the people who bedazzled jeans. We like it loud. And I'm not talking about volume at times. We like it grand. We like it dreamy. We like it exotic. We like it flashy. And we follow the lights. If you watch the red carpet, the Oscars, the Academy Awards, come on, it's over the top. And we're drawn to it. It's amazing how many people even like that don't care about film or cinema or TV shows are still drawn to this moment because it's there that we see what is defined as the apex of culture and creativity coming out in vibrant colors and ideas and statements and dresses and large cat costumes. <laughs> I think this is actually where Elijah was at. I think he was addicted to loud things. I think he liked it big. And why wouldn't he? His life was formed by it. His life was framed by big moments, grand moments, watching the power of God work itself out in pretty majestic ways. First Kings 17, I mean, he predicts a drought and then is fed by birds. None of you have had a meal brought to you by a raven. But how many of you would be like, that would be awesome on just a random Saturday, Raven and In-N-Out. 
First Kings 17, 8 through 24, he helps a widow and raises her son from the dead. First Kings 18, he defeats the prophets of Baal in a, in a fiery contention. And if you watch the rest of his life unfold in 1 Kings chapter 19, he's going to name Elisha as his successor, and he's going to do some pretty cool things. He's going to condemn Ahab and Jezebel. He's going to be taken up into heaven. We don't even see him dying necessarily. The Bible just tells us that he's taken up. And then in Matthew chapter 17, he's going to appear at the Mount of Transfiguration. Spectacular. Someone shout spectacular. And so this is why I believe that Elijah ran to a mountain that was familiar to him, Horeb, the mountain of God. It was a place of sacred ways and profound experiences. I mean, this is the same mountain where it all, where it all happened. This is the mountain that, that Moses would have the experience with the burning bush. We don't see that every day. This is gonna be where Moses is gonna be given the law and the, and the 10 commandments. This place is special, it's spectacular, it's, it's big. But I also believe that this is what elicits the question that God asks him in verse nine. What are you doing here, Elijah? Because if you read the text and you look at it, what we see is that Elijah was never asked to be where he found himself. He wasn't at the mountain of God because he was being obedient. He was at the mountain of God because he was fearful. And isn't it like us to run to familiar places when we find ourselves fearful? Isn't it like us to, to run to familiar places when we find ourselves dejected? Isn't it, isn't it like us to run to familiar places, even if those places are not good places, when we are having an existential crisis on the inside? Come on, isn't it like us to run back to the addiction that's familiar? Isn't it like us to run back to the relationship that's familiar? Isn't it, isn't it like us to run back to the town that's familiar or the state that we grew up in? Isn't it like us to run back to the campsite and get out of the city? Isn't it like us to run to that vacation? Isn't it like us to run to those golf clubs? Isn't it like us to run to that fishing pole? Isn't it like us to run to Nordstrom? Isn't it like us to run to familiar places when there's something going on in my soul? Yes. Where's your mountain? What is Mount Horeb for you? This is where Elijah finds himself. And God asks him why he's here. Now, my goal today is not to focus on the question, although it's an important question, and there's probably a lot we could talk about concerning it. My mission today is focused on what happens after the question, what scholars and theologians call the theophany. Now, according to the Tyndale Bible Dictionary, theophany, an appearance, is this, an appearance or manifestation of God. It's a compound word derived from the Greek noun for God, theos, and the Greek verb to appear, phano. A theophany is a manifestation of God in temporary forms per, uh, perceptible to the external senses. A theophany is regarded as one of the means by which God's special revelation comes to people. It's a divine revelation in which God's presence is made visible and recognizable to people. We all want the theophany, don't we? I mean, come on, have you ever thought that to yourself before sitting in church? Man, if God would just show up. Like how many of us would say to ourselves right now, if I, wa if I was walking on one of the Mill Creek tracks and all of a sudden a, a bush started to burn and God spoke to me, I'd believe in a nanosecond. <laughs> right? Because yeah. we all want the theophany. We all want the powerful. We all want the miraculous. But the Bible tells us that God wasn't in this moment necessarily. He was in a different place of the theophany. He was in a quiet whisper. It's this theophany, this moment that God visits and speaks to Elijah that would change the trajectory of his soul and the practical reality of his life. You see, when God shows up, church, we must yield and allow ourselves to be transformed. But we must recognize that it's not the wind or the earthquake or the fire that changed Elijah it was the still small voice. James Hastings, in his work, the great texts of the Bible, Deuteronomy to Esther, writes this, God is not in the wind, the earthquake, or the fire. These are only the fringe of his garment, the shadow of his inner glory. God is a spirit and known through the vocal silence of spiritual fellowship. I love that idea that he picks up on the fringe of his garment because it reminds me of another moment in scripture found in Matthew chapter 9 verses 20 to 22 
about a woman who is, is caught in a pretty severe physical issue. The Bible indicates to us that she had an issue of blood, which was in effect like being on your period for 12 years. And so she's done everything that she possibly can to fix this issue. She's consulted people and she's talked with people and nobody's been able to fix it and fix her. And so the Bible tells us that she comes to this place where she says to herself, if I can just touch the fringe of Jesus's garment, because his name was getting famous. He was getting popular. His Instagram likes were going up. And so Jesus is walking through town one day and she decides, man, if I can just touch the fringe of his garment. And so the Bible tells us that she pushes through and she nudges her way in and she elbows a few guys in the head and she gets to the hem of his, of his garment. She reaches out and she touches it. And it's in that moment that she's miraculously healed. And the Bible tells us that Jesus felt power go out from him. Now, I don't know about you, but can we just be honest in church today? that if you and I were that same woman, we would be good after touching the garment. I got what I came for. Come on, can we be honest in church today? After you touch the garment, you've been healed, you feel power, and you're like, man, I got what I, I, got what I came for. But that wasn't good enough for Jesus because Jesus didn't want her to just feel his power. She wanted her to hear his voice, and so Jesus stops everything and speaks to her. My concern for many of us is we want the power of God, not the voice of God. My concern for this generation is we want, we want the power of something, but not the voice of something. We want, God to do, we want God to do the miracle. We want God to arrange everything, and we want him to take away the sickness, and we want, we want God to, to shift this and move that. We want God to give us the promotion, even though we don't deserve it, and we want God to give us all the money, even though we don't know how to handle it, and we want God to give us all the healing, even though we'll ignore him after it's done. Why? Because we want the power, but we don't want the presence. We want the power, but we don't want the voice. See, there was a lesson that God was teaching to Elijah as God met him in the quiet place rather than the loud, impassioned, and glorious way that Elijah was accustomed to. You see, Elijah wanted God, he wanted God to be in the storm. He wanted God to be in the earthquake. He wanted God to be in the fire because this is the way that Elijah was most comfortable experiencing God because it was a direct reflection of what was in the heart of Elijah. Isn't it interesting that we have a tendency to want God to perform in a way that we would if we were God? Yeah. <laughs> have you ever said it before? If I was God, and everybody around you is like, thank God you're not. <laughs> if I was God, I'd do it like this. Y'all remember the movie Bruce Almighty? <laughs> what a weird movie. But it was in that movie that, that, we are, that we are met with what it is that many of us think and how we would do things. And Bruce Almighty, the minute he, like you remember the part, I got the power, then the whole montage takes place. And he thinks he's got it all in that moment. The problem was, is that he wasn't God. He didn't actually have the perspective that God has. He, he isn't the creative authority in the universe, so he only knew how to do things through a finite mind. And that's like Elijah, we want God to behave in a way and engage in a way and do in a way that we would do if I got the power. <laughs> One author put it like this, Elijah had read into the divine character the swift impatience of his own angry heart. In other words, Elijah wanted God in the way that he saw himself. To break through though, God had to speak differently. There were times past when God was in the storm and in the fire, but, but not this time. This time God had to manifest himself differently. He had to be found in a quiet place. See, the reason that many of us miss a move of God is that we are looking to see him in the ways that we want to and desire him to perform in. In other words, we're more content with a manufactured God designed by us to mirror our desires rather than the uncontainable God who does what he sees fit to meet us in the place according to our true needs. The theologian and preacher Frederick W. Robertson states this, the storm struggle must precede the still small voice. There, 
There are hearts which must be broken with disappointment before they can rise into hope. Blessed is the man when the tempest has spent its fury, recognizes his father's voice and its undertone, bears his head and bows his knee as Elijah did. See, the power that preceded God's voice was necessary because we can't lose what Walter Eckdraut, an Old Testament theologian, observes as the power before whom the creature cannot stand. In other words, God's power positions his voice. I'm going to say that one more time. God's power positions his voice. But the truth is, is that many of us have a low view of God. And this is actually why we want the power and not his word. Because we see God in a shallow way. If God would just do this, then I will. If God would just speak audibly, then I will. If God would just stroll right up to my car, then I will. If God would knock on my apartment door, then I will. If God would just magically appear in my dorm room, then I will. If God would show up in the middle of my campsite, then I will. It means we have a low view of God because we have his word. It's been revealed to us. And this is why we do not heed his word. See, the wind, the earthquake, and the fire were the processional to the ultimate power of God, his word. God spoke to Elijah and he spoke quietly and in stillness. See, many of us struggle with this in our faith journeys because there is more quiet than there is wind. There's more quiet than there is earthquake. There's more quiet than there is fire. See, we want a spectacular faith and Jesus rides in on a donkey. And many of us miss the donkey moment. My concern is that if Jesus were to drive past us today on a donkey, we would miss him. We want, we want Jesus in a Ferrari, not a Prius. Isn't that how we want to see him? There's something inside of us that craves massive. We look for God in the storm. Church, he's in the stillness. Many of us look for the refreshment of our soul to be found in the profound, the spectacular, the over-the-top, the largely emotional, the inspiring moments with God, but often he simply refreshes us with a still, small whisper, a gentle little breeze, as one author would describe it. See, we tend to believe that God communicates in extremes, chaotic and often unintelligible ways, but the truth is that he speaks the loudest through his often clear and soft tones, his word. This is why all of a sudden we're like trying to hear from God and then there's a lightning bolt and it hits a tree, the tree falls, a cat meows and an Amazon package shows up and you're like, it must have been God. <laughs> right? Yeah. We want, we want, we want Christian magic. Expecto Bibolium. <laughs> Isn't that what we want? We want, we want, we want Christian incantations. Can I talk to the church today? This is why we, 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 we love Christian mysticism more than we love biblical theology. This is why we get frustrated when the song doesn't hit us just right. I didn't get the goose. How was church today? Didn't get the goosebumps today. Yep. That guitar player was off. If they would have hit it in the right, like just the right time, I'd. This is, what, this is why we love messages that make us feel good and despise messages 
that jar us on the inside. And the funny thing is, is that we say, I want a church that preaches the Bible. (laughs) Until the church preaches the Bible. I want a church that makes me feel good. (laughs) Can we all agree that humans are fickle? We don't know what we want. We look for God in the trimmer, but he's in the tranquil. And I know the author said it like this, in the stillness of solitude, we often encounter the voice of God whispering to us in the depths of our hearts. Elijah's experience on Mount Horeb reminds us that sometimes it's in the quietest moments that we can hear the loudest truths. We look for God in the fire and he's in the fray. See, God is oftentimes not where we are looking for him. Usually the voice of God is found in the places that we tend to overlook. This is why we pass on older generations when we are younger. Oh, can we talk in church today? This is why we pass on wisdom because it's not dressed up in the latest and greatest. This is why we look to the popular instead of the proven. We turn away from resources and books and understandings and we turn away from scripture, proven things for a minute and a half on TikTok that's easier to digest. We stay away from taking 30 hours to push through a book that that is going to deeply and profoundly do something inside of us and we run to quick fixes on Instagram and Twitter. Listen, I'm not against technology. What I am against is this running from proven places. I want to make sure that that we understand. I love technology. I've I've taken all kinds of pictures of of cute little sayings and things that make me feel good in a moment. But if I want renovation of the heart, if I want my soul to change, I got to find myself in the quiet place with God. I got to move beyond the fire. I got to move beyond the framework. I got to move beyond the wind and beyond the earthquake. And in a still whisper. And then his voice. Reaches me, God was in a soft whisper. And it was upon the whisper that Elijah would come out of the cave. Notice he didn't wrap his face until the whisper. It was at the whisper, somebody needs to hear this today, that Elijah would tremble. Martin Luther put it like this, the law should be revealed with thunderbolts to those who are foolish and stiff-necked but the gospel should be presented gently to those who are terrified and humbled. Let's say it like this. A gentle voice speaks to a noisy soul. See, Elijah found the holy place where God was at. He found the holy place where God would not demonstrate his inexplicable power, but would rather speak to him softly. Henry Nouwen says this, Elijah's encounter with the great, with the gentle whisper of God's voice reveals the power of silence in our spiritual journey. It's in the hush of our souls that God often speaks most profoundly, inviting us to listen and to be transformed. Psalm 18, verse 35, David would say it like this, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me. Your gentleness made me great. See, the question that God would ask a second time is directed at a man that had now bowed his knee and covered his face. Think about this, church. The first time that Elijah would be asked the question, why are you here, Elijah? He was coming off the back end of a temper tantrum. We talked about that last week. He was emotionally distraught. He was fearing for his life. And then God says, why are you here? And he loses it. Everything's broken. Everyone's gone. Nobody loves me. I'm the only one. You ever said that before? I'm the only one left. He's saying this to God. He's throwing it out there. But the second time God asked the question, Elijah, why are you, why are you here? This is after he experienced his whisper. And I think it's in this place that Elijah says the same thing from a different position. 
Elijah now answered, not in emotional turmoil, but in reverential authenticity. Elijah answered God, now from a posture best captured in Psalm chapter eight, verses three through four, when the psalmist writes, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. I want you to see the juxtaposition that he says, look at the words, when I look at your heavens, when I look, when I look at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. How many of you agree? That's pretty big right there. That's pretty massive. I don't know about you, but when I sit outside in the dark during a summer night and I see the moon like our kids invited to look at the other night, and when I see these stars, and when I think about this world that we live in and that it holds on by just the tiniest little of threads and that thread is the word of God, that's massive, that's big, that's fireworks, that's explosive. Yet in his grandeur, he's mindful of us. It's a different position. It's one thing to be wowed by God's bigness. It's another thing to be cared for in his intimacy. <laughs> See, it's one thing to see God act mightily and powerful and big. It's another thing for him to hit the place that you need. Nobody else knows about. It's in the quiet place that God is mindful of us. Gerard Van Groengen, in his commentary of the first and second kings, observes that the Lord himself speaks to Elijah. The question, what are you doing here, is intended to make Elijah fully aware of who he is, where he is, why he's there, and what brought him there. And it's the Lord who is in charge of his life and his work. And in his work, Exalting Jesus in First and Second Kings, Tony Marita points out that this phrase, a soft whisper, listen to this, only appears two other times. It appears in Job chapter four, verse 16, and Psalm 107, verse 29. It's used in both passages in the context of rest and refreshment in the midst of pain, distress, and fear. It's the whisper that meets us in our broken place. I love how Isaiah 57 verse 15 speaks to this issue when it says, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, there's the bigness, who inhabits eternity. Can we just stop and think about those words for a second? Inhabits eternity. I inhabit a house. I inhabit an office. I inhabit a white Honda Accord. <laughs> Come on, put yourself there. I inhabit a cubicle. Yeah. I inhabit a Starbucks line. I inhabit a school play. I inhabit a kitchen table. I inhabit a countertop doing homework with kids. I inhabit a park bench, a swing, a trail on my bike, but he inhabits eternity. Wow. Wow. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a, now listen to what it says, we pass by this really quick. I inhabit a holy place, an eternity, the high place, but also the contrite and the lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly, the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The Bible would also tell us that God is near to the brokenhearted. Do y'all see what I'm trying to poke at here? And we miss it because we're looking for God in everything else. You ever met the Christian who's sniffing for God in all of the different places? You ever met the Christian or the person that has these spiritual moments? They see God in everything, and you're like, man, I haven't even really heard from him. How did you see him in the bush? <laughs> I think it's interesting that many people find God in all the other places besides his word. You told me what the breeze said. You didn't tell me what his voice said. Is it right if we carry this tension today? 
So why did God whisper? I think that's a good question. If we're going to discover more about who God is, his nature and his character, I think it's important that we understand why he whispered. Why did God whisper? Here's a few thoughts that I just want to submit to us today, and I want to encourage you to go back, read, look at this stuff. But here's a few thoughts to, for all of us today. The first reason that God whispered, I believe, is that God whispered to create intimacy. God whispered to create intimacy. Listen to John chapter 10, verses 27 through to 30. It says, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. My sheep hear my voice. It's, it's intimacy. Can I tell you that I know I can hear lots of voices, but I know her voice. I'll say that one more time. I could hear lots of voices, but I know her voice. I could pick her voice out. If we all descend into the lobby, which we'll do after service, everybody could be yelling and shouting, but if she were to shout at me, I'd hear it. Why? Because we've been intimate. We know each other. There's proximity. There's closeness. My kids, I know my kids' voice. When my kids get hurt and start crying, there can be anything going on around me, but I know that voice. All of a sudden, I'm up and I'm going after them. Why? Because they know me and I know them. And I believe that God whispered to Elijah to create intimacy. Because how many of you know when you whisper, it's intimate. It draws you in. The minute I whispered, everybody turned. Some of you leaned in. It got really awkward. This is as long as I'll whisper, because I only know how to shout. <laughs> See, a, a whisper elicits intimacy. Come on. See, it's one thing for Erica to shout across the living room at me. Hey, Jason, I love you. It's another thing for her to walk up to me and whisper in my ear. Hey, Jason, I love you. That's the good place. It's one thing for her to yell across the house, hey, can you take out the garbage? It's another thing for her to stroll over right next to me. Hey, Jason, will you take out the garbage? Yes, ma'am, 100%. Yep. What, what intimacy. We want the power of God, but we don't want the presence of God. We want the provision of God, but we don't want him to be close with us. For many of us, this is our relationship with God. You hold him at arm's length while calling him close. Which one is it? And I know in this room, if I can qualify this, I want to acknowledge this. Some of you in this room today, you're kicking the tires on faith. You're trying to figure things out. Somebody invited you to what they told you was going to have a breakfast buffet, and it sounded like a club, and it's awesome. And you showed up into church, and you're like, what is this place? And I get, you're, you're trying to figure things out, but it's amazing how many of us have said yes to Jesus, and we do this with them. We avoid intimate places because intimacy is scary. Richard Holloway, an Episcopal bishop of Edinburgh, writes this. I am tugged still by the possibility of the transcendent, but only whispers and tugs, nothing louder or more violent. Religion's insecurity, listen to this statement, this is gigantic. Religion's insecurity makes it shout, not whisper. Strike with the fist in the face, not tug gently with the fingers on the sleeve. Yet beneath the shouting and the striking, the whisper can sometimes be heard, and from a great way off, the tiny figure of Jesus can be seen on the seashore kindling a fire. Second thing I have found to speak to why God whispered to Elijah is that God whispered to provide a lesson in contrasts. He wanted, to, he wanted Elijah to see 
the differences in his nature. Psalm chapter 89, verse 14, watch this. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Many of us stop there. We like righteousness and justice, don't we? Like how many of you like, you like justice? We, want, we, we all have this mechanism inside of us. It's called our heart <laughs> that wants justice in the world that we live in, right? Yeah. So we want righteousness. We want justice. We want, we want people to generically do things the way that they're supposed to. And, and when people do something wrong against somebody else, we want it to be fixed. And when there's atrocities in the world, we want it to be reconciled and we want it to be worked out. And we want people who've had a bad go of it to, to get more. And we, we want righteous injustice and we fight for those things and we love it. But watch what happens before this. Faithful love and truth go before you. So there's this idea in the Psalms that God is multi-natured. But here's the thing. We have a tendency to put our personality and our drive on God. We are so for justice and righteousness. And that's why we yell at everybody and yell at everything. But we struggle with the love and truth part. Or we love the love and truth part. And we're like, forget about righteousness and justice. Right? You see it this way. Jesus was full of grace and truth. We love the grace part. All grace, 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 grace. And then you've got the truth camp. All truth, 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 truth. And have you ever noticed? Jesus is caught in the middle of his two natures from people who like one over the other. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Jesus is in the middle. Bap, 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 bap. While the truth people are yelling at the grace people and the grace people are yelling at the truth people. And Jesus is like, I'm both. We know that God caused the wind and the earthquake and the fire, but he was in the still small whisper. James Hastings writes this, we must seek to discern God in the quiet and the gentle. It is perhaps because we fail to discern him there that he comes sometimes in the tempest. We do not find him in health, and so he comes in sickness. We do not find him in prosperity, and so he comes in adversity. We do not find him in the stillness, and so he's compelled to come in the storm, but he would rather take the gentle way. The third reason I believe that God whispered was this, is that God whispered to foster an atmosphere of discernment. How many of you know that when you're around somebody who's whispering or more quiet, you have to lean in? Come on, y'all with me? You, you, quieter voices, you have, to, you have to lean in on. You have, to, you have to make sure that your ear is attuned. You have to make sure that you're canceling out all of the other noise so that you can hear the voice of the one who is speaking. That's actual discernment. Discernment is being able to clear out the noise and lean into that voice. Discernment is so much more than whether you're doing right or wrong things. And we say that sometimes. We're horrible at creating these definitions that are very light. And we say, you got to get discerning, which means like you got to know when dumb is happening and when smart is happening. <laughs> but that's not discernment. Did you know you have to use discernment when you read this book right here? You have to use discernment every single time. This is my prayer when I open up the pages of this book. God, I don't want to just read words. I need to hear your voice. Y'all with me? That's discernment. It's being able to open up. You could read 55 chapters of this a day and not be changed, but with discernment, you can read one verse and it reworks everything that you are. Because it's poetic, it's beautiful language. Oh, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And I could read that and that was a good saying, but I could discern in the middle of that moment and I could hear his voice for me. And that's when all of a sudden there's a renovation of the heart yeah, taking good. place. Yeah. It is God's word and listening for it that we learn to be and become discerning. And the last one is this, as the team comes back to the stage. Number four, I believe that God whispered to initiate personal renewal. Renew a right spirit within me, God. Search me and know me and renew a right spirit within me. 
if I close my eyes? Mom, you're going to love this. If I close my eyes, I can remember the smell of the carpet and the old sanctuary we were in as kids in Covington, Washington, where I would hear that statement uttered from the stage during worship. I can, I can remember the moment That, that church had maroon carpet on the main floor, green carpet on the stage. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Never change. Stains everywhere. Maybe that's why I love clean auditoriums. <laughs> so I remember the moment. But I also remember that in the moment, the verse was nothing. didn't change me. I heard it. I didn't get it. Now, all these years later, I could easily forget about the sanctuary. But to say that plea, when I've messed up, when I got angry, when I yelled at my kids, when I treated my team in a way that I shouldn't, when I ignored the person behind me in line who I knew so desperately needed something, but I couldn't be inconvenienced because I had an agenda to get done. The green carpet goes away, but I remember his voice. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. And it's the whisper of that verse that I lean into. It wasn't big, it wasn't magnificent. It's the strength of his word cutting through the pretense and the arrogance and the ego. It was his whisper that was breaking through the man that I want to be and the man that I'm not. That's what a whisper does. It cuts through all of the noise. His word is sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews would tell us. So I leave us today with a poem that's attributed to the American poet J.G. Whittier. And he says this, Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. Reclothe us in our rightful mind. In pure lives thy service find. In deeper reverence praise. O Sabbath rest by Galilee. O calm of hills above where Jesus knelt to share with thee the silence of eternity interpreted by love. With that deep hush subduing all our words and works that drown the tender whisper of thy call as noiseless, le noiseless let thy blessing fall as fell thy manna down. Drop thy still dews of quietness till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. Breathe through the heats of our desire, thy coolness and thy balm. Let sense be dumb, let flesh retire. Speak through the earthquake, the wind and fire. O oh, still, small voice of calm. My prayer is that in our cave, it would be the still small whisper that draws you out. 
and with covered face and bowed knee, you and I would say to the maker of the universe, here I am, Lord. Search me and renew in me a right spirit. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, amen. Amen. I'm asking everybody to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment. God asked Elijah a question. He said, Elijah, why are you here? And I want to ask you a question. Why are you here? Maybe you're here because a friend invited you, but over the past hour and a bit, you're quickly realizing that why you're here is different than why you came in. Maybe right now you're understanding that this is a divine appointment. Like Elijah, maybe you've been running from something and trying to find your way, but today something different. You've heard God speaking to you, not Jason Parrish, not even the words that I said, something else was going on inside of you. Why are you here? Many of us in this room today have said yes to following this Jesus that we've been talking about today. But I wonder for some of us, some some of us in here today, if we haven't yet said yes, I wonder if today would be your day to do so. And so we're gonna pray a prayer all together today. I don't wanna leave anybody out. So we're gonna pray it all together. But if you'd say, man, Jason, that's me. I need to surrender to Jesus. I need to surrender to the God who's honestly meeting you here right now with a spirit. So we're going to pray this prayer out loud, as loud as we can, so we don't leave anybody out. And the words don't really matter as much as the heart from these, to which these words come from. So if that's you today, come on, repeat this after me, all of us together. Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me. Change me. Make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I'm sorry for doing it my way. And today, I'm deciding to follow your way. Thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for eternity. In Jesus' mighty name.